So uh, the topic this week, uh, again, now you, you should have your handouts and stuff, uh, is discipleship and discipline. And you may find that kind of interesting that we put those together. Look up. But as we'll talk about later, they're really, they're really not as far separate as you might think. They're sort of two sides to the same coin. But um, um, let's start off by turning to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And um, I'm going to ask if someone wouldn't mind reading that for us. And I'd like to just, as we go through this, uh, kind of make some observations about it. And as you turn to that, uh, just, you know, the book of Ephesians was a book, uh, as a uh, prison epistle. Paul wrote it to the Ephesian church uh, while he's in the Roman prison. And uh, it's sometimes been divided into uh, this helpful uh, format, a guy named Watchman Nee that I would not, espouse all of his theology, at least later in his life for sure. But he, he wrote a book called uh, Sit, Walk, Stand, and it's from the book of Ephesians. And uh, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is about how we sit in Christ, that is our position in Christ, uh, who we are in Christ. And then, uh, and then walk is chapters 4 through the middle, uh, chapter uh, verse 9, chapter 6. And it's basically now in light of how we, of our position in Christ, who we are, how we sit in him, how do we walk. And then if you remember uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through, that's the, uh, the spiritual armor passage. And that's stand. How do we stand against Satan? So in that we're, we're reading a passage about how we walk in Christ. Uh, and particularly, you know, he's, remember he's talking to an Ephesian church. And he's, tell, he's saying, you know, this is how you as a church are to, are to walk together. So it, therefore, you know, it applies to us certainly in the area of discipleship. But who, who would read that for us? And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints onto the work of ministering onto the building up of the body of Christ Till we all attain unto the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a full-grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and craftiness against the wiles of error, but speaking truth in love may grow upon in all things into him who is the head, even Christ. Okay. Uh, yeah, right. Framed and knitted together through that which every joint supplieth according to the working in due measure of each several part, making maketh the increase of the body unto the building up of itself in love. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. That's okay. It's actually pretty close to the ESV. I didn't find it deviating too much. Uh, so. I just want to make four observations from this just by way of introduction, if you're kind of following along in your uh, outline. So we're the, uh, the first, um, and, and these four observations are kind of along the, you know, the who, what, why, um, how uh, of this passage. So the, the first one is uh, that 
you know, God has given uh, some church leaders uh, uh, to, and then verse, uh, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So um, the who, the, the saints, obviously, are the church members at, uh, of the Ephesus church. So um, this is, the purpose of, of this training was to equip them for work of ministry. So in other words, you know, there's sometimes this, uh, this mistake that people make thinking that, okay, pastors, elders, uh, these folks are supposed to be doing uh, everything and church is a spectator sport. But that's not what we see in the New Testament and that's not what you know, we at Christ's Covenant want. It's, it's very much doing a lot of one another's. There's very much involvement um, among, and it says, because it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, the, um, so every member is actively involved in, in, in doing, so that's the who, everyone. The what is building up the body of Christ. And, you know, that's a pretty big what that all of us are to be involved in, right? Um, the, uh, the second point in verse 15 is sort of the, the how. Uh, so uh, it says, rather, speaking the truth in love. So all of us, you know, uh, we're all to be involved in this, what I'll call word ministry of encouraging, challenging one another. We're to be, and, um, and that, and note that there's, you know, there is a cause effect here in verse 15. It says, uh, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up unto him into the head. And so the, the words that you speak to, to the person next to you or to uh, fellow members, you know, those words are being, are being used to grow someone else into the uh, image of Christ. So the, uh, now let's look at uh, verse 16. And I think this sort of uh, brings, sort of hits all of the, the who, what, when, why. But it says, For, uh, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Uh, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So note there it says uh, from the whole body, again, so we've got the who, everyone. Um, and note it says held together by every joint by which it is equipped. And that word, you know, the word equipped is referring back to the equipping that it talked about in verse 11. So the same things that all of us as, as members are equipped with, those things are being used to... Uh, to hold the church together. <laughs> That's a pretty awesome thought. It's not just Tom, it's not a solo show, but it's all of us uh, making, and you know, it says when each part is working properly. So that's, uh, there's, you know, I think there's a lot, the term, uh, actually I sent out the elders note this past, past week, and. Uh, 
as I was preparing even for this sermon today, I was uh, struck by, in our society, uh, how individualism is so valued, right? Individualism is, you know, the, putting the individuals as the priority over others. And yet, that's not what our, you know, walking with Christ, what we do as a, as a church together is so countercultural to that because, you know, we are putting one another's interest above our own. Um, so there's no individualism here at all, but we're making the body, uh, and, and as each, each of our, each part is working together, you know, it's this well-oiled machine, right? All the parts working together and um, working properly. The, the result of that, the what, the end of it, is that we, um, the body grows and it builds itself up in love. And so that's really my fourth point, and this is a very obvious one, but it's, it's something we shouldn't miss. And that is that we are to grow. You know, there's not a stagnant, uh, we aren't to be stagnant in the Christian life. No matter what age, you know, each of you comes in here, you know, young or old, uh, we are to all be growing. And, and what's even more critical is that each of you, you know, the person you're sitting next to right now, the people you'll be involved with at Christ's covenant, you're to help other people grow as well. And that, that growth, I, I think one of, the, um, one of my lifelong verses, and you know, it's a familiar verse to many of you, is Philippians 1.6. For I'm confident of this very, and this is actually from the NAS because that's how I originally learned it, by the way. But I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, so this, uh, it's a lifelong process. And Tom, you've heard Tom perhaps already, uh, depending on how long you've been here, but you've heard him speak about the importance of small things. And yet they're, they're small in our eyes, but not in God's. I mean, consider you know the parable of the woman who who brought the, uh, the coin, um, all she had. And here, over 2,000 years later, we are all encouraged and challenged and remember that. So you never, uh, something I'm amazed at is that we never know what, what our words mean to other people, how much it may affect the rest of their life. Uh, that puts a heavy weight on us, I know, but it should also give us a great joy and uh, that, that's, that we're to be dependent upon one another. We're, we're not independent, we're interdependent here. So uh, that's by way of introduction. So let's move to, uh, uh, so what is a disciple? Uh, let's look at, I'd like to look at these uh, there are two verses uh, on your handout. I'd like to kind of expand on the second one and also add a third one. And I'd, what I'd like to do, by the way, if you have any comments as we go along, I, this doesn't have to be just full lecture. I, I welcome them. So uh, any comments or questions, please feel free. Um, 
So I'd like to read these three verses first, and, and I'd like to ask you know, someone to read it for us. And as we read each of them, I'd like to ask this one question. I'd like, like us to, and the person who reads it doesn't have to be the one you know, who, who answers it. If you'd like to, feel free. But um, The question is, what does it tell us about discipleship? Very simple. So we're going to do uh, Mark 1.16. That's already written down. Uh, we're also going to do Matthew 16, and we're going to do verses 21 through 25. So uh, I think it only has maybe 21 in your handout, perhaps. And then I'm going to add to that 2 Timothy 2.2, which is a familiar verse to many of you, but I want to include that. Uh, okay, so who would like, who could read Mark 1.16? Okay, here we go. Um, passing along the Sea of Galilee, we saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Okay. Uh, yeah, and you. Yeah, sorry, and the next, I guess it's 17, sorry. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Yeah, so 116 and 17, thank you. So what does this tell us about discipleship? You're more holy if you fish. <laughs> <laughs> there seems to be a precedent set to follow. Yeah, uh, and, and to follow, uh, the precedent to follow him? Yeah. Yes. So... Our job is to follow. His job is to make us fishers of men, right? Make a, to, or maybe a more general way would be to say that to make us fruitful. You think of, uh, you know, John 15, the, the vine, the, he's the vine, we're the branches, that apart from him, we can do nothing. But he does promise to bear fruit through us. Um, I, I remember... Uh, very quickly hearing a speaker give this example. He, he said he was walking past his, uh, he was in his kitchen walking past his uh, uh, kitchen sink and he heard the, his kitchen sink making this loud groaning noise and he said, um, didn't know what it was and he said, so what, what's wrong here? And the kitchen sink spoke back and said, I can't, I've been trying to eke out some water for you all day and I just feel like a failure. I just can't do it. And uh, he, he answered and said, I know you've been available to me right all day. I haven't. I, I can use you at any point. And you know, I think that's our, our responsibility is to be available to him. And he, he bears the fruit through us. So uh, let's read the next. Uh, who would read? Well, uh, Matthew 16, 21 through 25. Yeah, please. Thanks. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay, so what, what does this teach us about discipleship? It requires complete sacrifice, putting aside your personal desires. Yeah. It's a level of, uh, yep, level of self-denial. Is costly, yes. Okay. So, are we to come away from this uh, with just this incredibly heavy burden, thinking, "Who can do this?" What, where's the what's what do you see, quote, quote on the positive? All of it's positive, I guess, but you know what I mean. What what do you what do you see in this passage that is? Uh, you gain true life if you lose your life. Yeah, the very end. He said, yeah, whoever, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When I, when I became a Christian, um, you know, I don't know, w- w- when you became a Christian, perhaps you, you remember things that you were thinking. And I know, you know, it was all God. In fact, let me, Tom, Tom has always said, we we all become believers as Armenians and then later realize that it was all God. And that was the case with me as well. Uh, but I was 13 years old. I was at this, this youth retreat. And I remember uh, this incredible draw to say that, that Jesus, I had an incredible desire to, to know what, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? And you know, obviously God put that there, but it was a realization that who can know the purpose for which he has made me if it's not someone, who can know what comes after life if it's not someone who has risen from the dead, and uh, who can know the purpose for which I was created if it's not somebody who created me. And, you know, that's what my mental faculties were we're saying as, as he drew me to him. And I think following Christ as a disciple, you know, we are, we are called to, um, you know, John 10.10 John 10 says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And that's really the only way that we, as we do church together, that's the only way that we're, um, we'll have that abundant life that Christ talks about. Um, Jim Elliott you know the, the saying, many of you, probably, perhaps all of you know, he says he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And um, that's, that's certainly true here. Second Timothy 2.2, who would read that? Alex, would you read that for us? I'll just... <laughs> and the things you have heard me say in the presence of my witness and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Uh, this is a verse that, it, it, again, is a very familiar. Uh, you know, here Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy is Paul's, you know, young, young disciple. And he's saying, Timothy, I have discipled you. Now I want you to uh, 
teach others so that they can teach others so that they can teach others. And that's multi called multiplying disciples. Uh, and, you know, if you think about it, each of us would not be here if it weren't for multiplying disciples. And that's what's happened over the ages. And so when, you know, discipleship involves, uh, I've heard, perhaps you've heard the, uh, the, the saying, we need to look for, for fat men. Fat stands for faithful, available, teachable. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking for people who, are, um, who will be able to teach others as well. And I think that's, uh, that's a, certainly a desire here. You know, that's not to say, but I, I want to caution against, you know, sometimes, <laughs> you know, I see Jesus being so compassionate to everyone uh, that, and you, you hear these stories about men who have invested in, in people who are, don't look great uh, by, in the eyes of the world, but they are, they are faithful they were available and they were teachable and they've become greatly used by God. And so it, it, it means looking for those people in your rela- uh, you know, sector of relationships. You know, and I also want to ca- say that discipleship can be mutual. It should be mutual. You know, sometimes there is a more mature believer, but it can be two that are that are you know fairly equal and are encouraging one another so um so let's so mark dever gave a a good definition of discipleship mark dever is the pastor at uh, capitol hill baptist church in in dc uh, which is a very like-minded church with ours Um, he he says uh, discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone else so they will be more like Christ. Let me say that again. Discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone else so they will be more like Christ. You know, clearly that's something we should be doing for one another, all, everyone. So by that definition of discipleship, which is an excellent one. But now let's, let's turn in your next section. What does, uh, what does it look like here and we just want to give some practical suggestions for uh, how discipleship plays out at Christ's covenant. Um, you know, the first one should be pretty obvious is, um, you know, attend church regularly. And, you know, this is not meant to be a, uh, a brick in your wheelbarrow, but you know, he, Hebrews 10, uh, 25 says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. He, book of Hebrews is a book of warnings. You'll find uh, many warnings. And this, this itself is, there were obviously a group of people who were, who were starting to forsake getting together. And clearly, we can't, it goes without saying, we can't be involved in one another's life unless we are in you know, each other's presence. Um, you know, you can, and I'd say probably if, if attending church is not, um, if missing church, missing church, I would say, uh, would hopefully be something you just miss. It's like, I, I just don't, don't really don't want to miss. 
obviously, you know, we all go on vacation stuff. That that goes without saying. But but if we if we're missing, it probably says one of two things. It says either we don't value enough the gifts that we bring, you know, to one another's life. We don't think that our word ministry to one another or how what other area that you may be involved in in the church, we don't recognize that all, all parts of the body need to be working together, right? As we read in Ephesians 4. Or we don't think that, Christ, that uh, the gifts of others is, as, is that important for our own growth. And you've heard the example of the, uh, the, the log that is in the fire and you take out and it, and, and it no longer is burning. And, you know, so we, we need that continued fellowship with one another. Um, I, I don't, in terms, honestly, it had, it had a, a number uh, in, in the notes that I was given. I don't want to say a number because it's sort of like saying how many, um, and I know, you know, there's extenuating circumstances for, for jobs and different things. That goes without saying, you know, we totally understand that. But, um, but it's like giving a number is like saying, well, how close can I get to this without being, a, you know, real big? We shouldn't be asking that. It should be, it's just something that we should be, um, it should, we should miss not being at church with one another. So uh, second, uh, forget about a program. Yeah. Let me, it's not to mean that programs are not good, they can't be helpful, but it, what we mean by this is that uh, discipleship really is to be organic. That is, it's to be uh, in the process of doing life-on-life -life relationships with one another. And, um, you know, we, we've all done enough programs uh, that sometimes we just do those programs and then it ends up not being something that becomes part of our life. So um, the next three really sort of build on the number two. That is uh, about that. That is how do we how organic works or without a program. Well, number one, the or number three on your handout is uh, meet up with people. You know and. Uh, we, we, you know, being organic doesn't mean being non-intentional because if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So, you know, we have to be intentional. Um, so uh, one thing we encourage is, you know, find someone to, uh, to meet with. To, we have helpful tools to meet with maybe, you know, every week, every other week. Uh, there's some helpful tools on the on the website of uh, like there, there's one I would definitely commend to you uh, and we could give you copies of this one-to-one -one Bible reading and it's just you know how to get together with someone and and just gives you a little bit of structure uh, there's there's other resources as well uh, on on the website for that and I think I actually asked them, and I don't know if they, I asked, I asked them to add links to the end of your handouts. I'm not sure if that got, actually got in. Uh, 
But if it didn't, um, you know, please, and you can't find the, you know, resources on the website, please let us know. Uh, the next thing that kind of, you know, helps this organic thing is asking uh, good questions of one another. You know, and, and um, I like, you know, sports as much as anyone, or maybe not anyone, but I, I like them. So I know it's easy to, for guys to get together and talk about sports and never, you know, talk about spiritual things. Or, you know, women, you know, getting whatever the topic is and, and never, you know, getting to, to caring about their soul. And uh, so, you know, some good questions, for example, might be, you know, what, what has uh, God been doing in your life lately? You know, what are you reading in the Word? Uh, how can I pray for you? But just getting to a level of, uh, that gets past the surfacey things. So asking good questions. Uh, you know, in the, actually a good study uh, that I would commend to you is, is uh, looking for all the one another's in Scripture. Uh, there are, let's see, I think, yeah, there are 59 times in Scripture where in the New Testament where it says, you know, do this to one another. Now, some of those are repetitive. There are a lot of uh, love one another's. So I think there are like 23 different instances of, uh, of what we're to do for one another. And so I would encourage you to just uh, look at those. For the, an example would be, uh, I mentioned Hebrews 3. Hebrews is a book of warnings, and here's another one from Hebrew, Hebrews 3.13 that says, but exhort one another every day. That's pretty often. As long as it is called today, that none of, and, and the purpose of that exhorting is that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Those are pretty high stakes, you know, for us to, uh, the guarding of ourselves to not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Um, make sure, check, time check here. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, fifth is uh, give thoughtful encouragement. Um, you know, watching people's lives and what they're good at and, and then uh, commenting on that, uh, encouraging them. If you see God working through them to do something. Uh, another verse from Hebrews, uh, a lot of Hebrews verses, but uh, 10, um, 24 says, let us consider, that is give careful thought to, how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. So we're to give you know, spend time in, you know, in prayer saying, you know, God, who is it that you would have me encourage? Who is it that you'd have me reach out to? And how can I stir them up towards love and good works? Uh, sixth, uh, so now to sort of the formal, uh, you know, structured part uh, at Christ Covenant, you know, you know we have care groups here. Care groups are really the chief mean for us to be doing life on life together. And, you know, it would be our desire that everyone be in a care group. In fact, I would say that almost, especially as new members, it's, 
it is the best way to plug in, you know, to the church. And, um, you know, it's, it's often, our, especially when someone go, from our church goes through a difficult time, you know, God uh, brings a trial their way. It's really the care group that is, uh, is the one that is most closely uh, walking with them through that. Not that other people in the church are not, but so I, I highly commend, you know, care group. And if you're interested in that, if you haven't already spoken uh, to, uh, to Daniel, Daniel is the coordinator for care groups here at Christ Covenant. So he knows, you know, who's in which one, et cetera. So he, he would be the person to say, can you show me a list of existing care groups? Can you say, you know, talk with him honestly about, you know, this is what would be helpful uh, to me in a care group. One other thing, I, actually, I just thought of, uh, I'd say don't look for a care group that, for which you are like everyone else necessarily, same age, going through the same thing. I know it can be really helpful um, to have, have that, at least some that are uh, going through the same thing, but, but having people that are at different stages in life is really healthy. In fact, I think it, it shows, you know, because there's more diversity and the unity that can result as a result of that diversity in the care group can actually bring more honor to God as, because it's a God thing that's causing that unity to be born and it's not based on, you know, some other non-gospel centric affinity. Um, so you're, you're huddled around the gospel rather than maybe some, something else that you have in common. Um, and then uh, last, <clears throat> the last thing I'd say here is that uh, if you're struggling, reach out. Uh, the book of James uh, chapter 5 says, call for the elders of the church uh, that they may pray for you. And in that, notice that that it's the one who is in having the health need that is calling for the elder of the church in that case. You know, I would hope that whether, you know, it's elders, deacons, uh, Pat, Pat, the staff, that we would sort of be aware, but, but there, you know, please, uh, you know, make us aware of, of, of needs that you have. And also to that, if, if there's something especially a theological thing or um, I don't know, something else that's just hindering your, your life here at Christ's Covenant. We really want to hear about it. Don't feel like uh, we don't. Uh, There's so many, I don't think this has happened a lot recently, but over my time of being an elder here, I've, it's been the, one of the saddest things for me to hear is that someone's leaving the church and it's because they said, I just don't feel connected. I don't feel like, I feel like I've fallen through the cracks and I and, uh, just pray that that is not the case. So to, to that, I would say, uh, you know, reach out to, to us, but also, you know, if you're feeling that way, I can guarantee you someone else is feeling that way. And so 
reaching out to someone else to be a friend to them is really important. <clears throat> Inviting some people into your home to, to build those relationships. But again, you know, the care group, again, is, is a great way that would hopefully, that would not be the case. So let me uh, speak real briefly on uh, assessment of health and growth, and then we'll get to, to the last section on church discipline. Well, any, any comments before I do that? Yes? Are you assigned to a small group, or do you get to choose? Uh, you get to choose, yeah. Uh, and again, yeah, uh, Daniel has the list, and he can, he can give you information sort of about each care group. Any, any other? Okay. So uh, just real briefly, I want to make a few points on this section, assessment of health and growth. Um, th just three quick points. Uh, number one is uh, church growth is not intended to happen as a result of church hopping. Uh, and I know, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we do before before a person joins is we have an elder uh, called an elder interview. It's just a time for us to get to know you and just uh, one of the questions that, that we ask is, you know, what church did you leave and why? And the reason is that we don't want to be sheep stealers, you know. We don't want to grow because people are, are just going to, because uh, if there's something one of the things that uh, I remember Tom saying years ago to, um, to us in a meeting said, um, says, I want to bury many of you. <laughs> now, the context of that was he wanted us to not uh, be church hoppers. You know, he wanted us to be, to be doing life on life together for a long time. And, uh, and that's, that goes back to uh, us becoming more like Christ, not overnight, but, you know, slowly. And, it, and it be, it's, it's much more effective when people, when we know one another better. And that happens over time. So um, the second is, uh, is that we discourage a consumer mentality. I mean, you know, I talked about that in the beginning in the Ephesians 4 passage in which we're all parts of the body, we're to be, you know, participating with one another. And so the question, you know, it's a valid question to ask, you know, how can I be fed here at Christ's covenant? But it's also, you should never stop there. But, you know, it's how can I serve and minister to others here at Christ's covenant? So, uh, and then last um, is we want to emphasize uh, quality and not quantity. You know, the numbers of Christ's covenant is, is uh, is, is not something we look at. I, I w right after college, I was a journey, I don't know if you guys are familiar with journeyman program with IMB, but I, I was, uh, went to Kenya uh, right after college. And I remember them, when I first went, they, uh, they described Christianity in Kenya as being miles wide and about a half inch deep. And uh, it's because discipleship was not important. In fact, the, the missionary I worked under was, that was his, his goal was discipleship. And I was gratefully, great, greatly impacted by his ministry to me. But, um, you know, it's, it's not, we don't desire this, uh, 
numbers, but, but quality. Uh, you know, Paul says it well in, obviously, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, there's that everyone again, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Um, so that's the, the who, everyone. Uh, the what is everyone mature in Christ. And the how is in verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And that's a great verse because it, it says, you know, we're, we're to put effort into this but it's through the, the, what he's doing in me. And um, I know, you know, I think the best thing that we can do as, uh, to contribute to the health of a church is, is seeking to have a, you know, a healthy spiritual life ourselves and um, using and, and that way impacting others. But there, all, there are always times where we need the help of others and that's what the body is all about. So uh, let me conclude. I'm going to have to go really quick on church discipline. I didn't allot my time very well here, but let me. Uh, so, so how is uh, ch church discipline is, is the other side of the coin, as I mentioned at the start. Uh, so far in discipleship, we've talked about formative discipline. That is positive instruction that we give to another believer to see them mature in Christ. But there's also... Corrective discipline, which is addressing sin in another believer's life. And it covers, you know, everything from privately confronting each other uh, personally all the way to formal, and I'll use this, this archaic word, excommunication. But I'll define it in just a minute. Um, so what are some wrong reactions to, to sin in the church? You know, uh, <clears throat> you know, one is to ignore it. And just sweep it on the the ostrich version of uh, you know burying our head in the sand and and just ignoring it and uh, but you know consider a a math teacher who never corrected the students and said oh you're doing great when that's not a very loving math teacher nor is it very loving when we just ignore sin but the other side uh, of an incorrect. Uh, way of dealing with sin in the church is is to uh to be harsh and self-righteous you know we're all saved by grace and there but by the grace of god go i right we you know we have to come with humility to this and uh i you know first corinthians 13 says love hopes all things so it is not that we are you know discipline the goal of discipline is not retribution, as I actually say later, but it's restoration. <clears throat> and uh, so what is the right reaction uh, to, uh, to sin in the church is to, well, we have a baby here, right? <laughs> it's to deal with our children um, as, uh, is to deal with, sin, with others with sin in the church as we deal with our children. You know, clearly, you know, one wrong thing to do with, is to ignore something wrong our child is doing. That's not loving to them, 
nor is it loving to be harsh and to discipline them out of anger. You know, we always had to, you know, count or whatever so that when we went to our children, we did not do it out of anger. And, uh, you know, that, so the goal of, uh, of sin is, is to restore, uh, of, uh, of, Church discipline is to restore the person. Um, now, <clears throat> let's um, let me just jump to the last section. Let, uh, well, I'll say uh, on the. Let me say one note on this for serious unrepentant sin. You know, all sin is serious. Don't misread that, please. Uh, I think what is probably a better way of saying that is that. Uh, <coughs> for sin that is clearly sin according to Scripture. Uh, but it's not for things that, oh, we think this guy's doing wrong, but we, we really had no scriptural basis. Or, um, and, and also, um, as we'll talk about, uh, quote, let me go ahead and get to this excommunication word because um, what... The, what that means, actually the word itself uh, comes from excommunioning them. It means they're no longer taking the Lord's Supper. So even the word itself, excommunication, means that, that we're no longer affirm, we, we can no longer affirm that they're saved based upon some unrepentant sin that they've refused to repent of, that is a clear sin. And uh, so I don't know if any of you have been in churches in which this has been practiced. And it's not like it's been practiced a lot here, but it has happened. So uh, it is important. Um, and I, I'd say uh, church discipline doesn't mean forbidding an individual from attending the church. It just means that the church no longer affirms they're a Christian, as I said. So how is it exercised? Uh, in you know this Matthew 18 passage, and uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to just uh, talk about the three steps. You have it in your handout. But um, you know, there, actually, I'd like to put a, a step zero in, in your, your handouts for this, and that is step zero is pray. Sometimes, you know, step one in your handout says, uh, and what is outlined in, in Matthew 18 is that we are to, uh, to go to the, to the offender. But even before doing that, we need to pray and ask God, you know, we're, we're told in, uh, in Proverbs that 1911 says it's a glorious thing to overlook an offense. So the question is, how do I know is this something I should overlook or is it something that I should go to the person about? And here, and I'd say here are three, three different questions you can ask yourself. Has the offense led to a broken relationship between the two of you? If it has, you should go. Number two, is the sin dangerous to the soul of the offender? If it is, you should go. Um, and third, as I said earlier, is the sin clearly, is it, is it a sin clearly according to Scripture? Or is it a questionable area that, that is something that, you know, Levy has talked about this morning that is a, a conscience thing for me? 
So, but, but if you've done that, and, if you, and even after you've, you've prayed to determine, yes, I should go, pray sincere, you know, seriously before you go. And uh, yeah, story of a guy named Dawson Trotman, founder of Navigators, who, who, who went to do that to, uh, uh, to someone. By the way, uh, Billy Graham said Dawson Trotman had affected more people for Christ than anyone he ever met. So this is a godly man. Uh, and here, he, he, went, he had to confront someone about pride. Uh, the night before he went, he spent, he, his wife woke up in the middle of the night and saw Dawson Trotman uh, pacing back and forth at the foot of the uh, bed, praying for this guy. The next day, he approaches him and, and confronts him. And the guy's initially very angry. Later, uh, Dawson's wife told him, said, last night, I woke up. You know, Dawson's praying for you. <laughs> that softened the guy's heart. You know, so pray before you go. I think that's, um, and then go to the offender in private. So you know, we're told to go in private. We don't. We we're we're not to gossip with someone before we go. Also note that that uh, in in Matthew five, Jesus tells the uh, the offendee to go. So bottom line is, you know, we're, so, so we're supposed to kind of be running into each other as we're both the offender and the offendee kind of run into each other trying to, to reconcile. Um, and then, uh, you know, most offenses hopefully will, will end here. Second, you take two or three others. Uh, you know, the, Jesus in this passage, he's actually speaking, he, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 19 in which they say that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Oh boy, I apologize. Goodness, I lost, I was thinking 11. Yeah, As I, let me, uh, yeah, let me pray for us here. Uh, the fast track discipline, I think, if you have any questions about these other sections, uh, yeah, talk to me.